Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. Canine behavioral enrichment sounds wonderful, right? How could it possibly be negative in any way? Well, this is Dog Training Disrupted, so I'm going to dissect it. Uh, you know, talk about what it is, why it's making such a splash, in particular with shelters, and what it really means for dogs, dog rescues, for trainers, and for pet parents. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful behaviorist using cognitive behavioral therapy for canines for over three decades. So we're going to talk today about canine behavioral enrichment. What is it? Well, commonly these are activities or elements, tangible products that stimulate the brain and they encourage natural behavior. So this is why they're often used in zoos so that they can get these animals in their unnatural confined environments. You can tell my opinion of zoos. <laughs> well, that's a whole other topic. Um, to get them to do their natural behaviors and to stimulate brain development and get them to do activities, partly because this is simply better for the tourists and the people that are there because they like to see them do something except sleep, but it's also beneficial for them. So what are some of these? Well, in respect to dogs, there's a lot of products on the market right now which claim to be canine behavioral enrichment products. These are usually in the form of toys. They can be gadgets as well, gimmicks even, if you will. <laughs> they can increase brain stimulation. They can encourage cognitive functions. It, really, you don't need to go out and buy a lot of these gadgets. Sometimes, if you think about it, eight-year-olds do canine enrichment with dogs. It's just simply getting them to learn basic commands or working with them, spending time with them, teaching them different languages and communication. Some people will have multiple different toys that they give different names to. There's also a lot of the agility exercises. They can be bonding. When they're done with the person, they're actually quite bonding and I, I quite like them. But again, they can be very basic. They, they don't have to be expensive or time consuming. When they are without the person, they're not necessarily bonding, but they can stimulate brain activity and stimulate cognitive functions. And I'm going to give an example on this. I've recently be, I've been asked to be on the advisory board for a company called Canine Innovations Incorporated, which is run by a woman named Alexandra. <clears throat> and she's out of the University of Texas at Dallas. And she's creating a product which is very similar to agility courses and it's for in-home or even in dog daycares or shelter systems. It's designed using lights to get dogs to do basically an agility course and then of course there's the treats for the rewards. The reason I'm on the advisory board is to ensure that it stimulates cognitive function in the way that we want it to. There's also a trainer from University of Duke, or I should say a student, she's not an active trainer, but she's taking animal behavior. And of course, they only do positive reinforcement training and conditioning methods in there. Alexandra actually hasn't found her as helpful as myself simply because her product is designed to stimulate 
cognition. It's designed for when the person isn't there to decrease anxiety and to stimulate activity when people are gone to work, for example. So that's one example where it is a canine enrichment product, but not necessarily bonding because it's not with the person. Another product that is promoted as canine enrichment is designed by a woman in the States. It's designed specifically for shelters. It's a, a gadget that attaches to the cage bars, the kennel bars, and attached to it is almost like a, a small sort of version of a Kong where you would stuff treats or some type of food into that. And they can attach it on the outside so they don't have to even go in the kennel and then they can flip it up and turn it around and flip it down. And then the dog can spend some amount of time attempting to get this food out of this Kong type toy. So the problem with this obviously is there's no interaction. And it's really not stimulating the brain. The dogs are going to try and get the food out of that. It is not at all correlative to a dog on the street using their cognitive skills to get food and find food. There's no communication. There's no uh, commands. There's no, it's just a dog basically the same as, I guess it would be a little bit like a child trying to open a box. But these dogs know the food is in there. They, they know how to get it really what it's doing is buying the shelter staff time where the dog isn't barking or trying to get out so that they can do other chores and, and such things that they need to do and not have the dogs be barking. That's really what it is. So I do believe a lot of products are advertised and sold as canine enrichment and even canine behavioral enrichment when they are not. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad but we need to dissect what they really are and what they're doing here. So how do we really know if they are canine behavioral enrichment activities or products? So they should be reaching the cognitive side of the brain. So what is cognition? Cognitive skills essentially are planning, reasoning, comprehending, lateral thinking. Lateral thinking is problem solving, researching, using logic. That's what that's what dogs automatically do when they're living on the street and automatically do not do when they're just in a kennel situation or in a confined environment, unless they're trying to get out. That is why dogs are able to get out of places that people are actually really surprised about or how they understand where they live and where things are. And I talk a lot about this in a lot of my other episodes on this podcast, just how dogs use cognitive skills in their daily life, which can work in our favor and can sometimes be perceived as unwanted behavior. I'm going to use just one other example here where I saw a video of a trainer has a sealed, like a Tupperware sealed container with treats in it and was watching their dog, which was a purebred lab in the adolescent stage, try to open that lid and get to the treat. So the dog knew that treats were in there. He could not open it, it was quite well sealed. And obviously they're not, their paws are not designed to open that. There was not an intent for the dog to open it. The goal was to see what the dog would decide to do to figure this out. So the dog came and sat beside her, left, left the container you know, a few feet away and came over and sat beside her. Her conclusion was that the dog was asking her to open the container for him. 
Well, that is cognition, uh, reasoning, logic, trying to find a solution. I'm not sure the dog was doing that. The dog might just have been bored with it and went over to her to get pats or to go for a walk or do something different because this container is stupid and I can't open it and I know you'll give me a treat if I come over and sit. That could have been it. So come to, coming to these conclusions based on that, I think deserves a little bit more research because dogs not always have the same goal when it comes to using treats and those sort of things as what people think they do. So just because there's treats in this container doesn't mean that that dog necessarily is going to want to do that. So we have to be careful when we use canine enrichment products to define behavior. And that's where I get a little bit iffy on this <laughs> because the biggest point that you're going to get out of this whole episode is that canine enrichment products are not designed to rehabilitate behavior. They can entice thinking and they can prevent anxiety or aggression when, when used properly and in early years so that they stimulate positive brain functions and they create a bond. That can prevent those behaviors. But once those are occurring, let's not confuse canine enrichment with behavioral rehabilitation. So I sort of jumped ahead there, but that's a little bit where this is going. If a dog already has aggression or anxiety, I'm not saying to not stimulate those parts of the brain. We do, but that's what cognitive behavioral therapy does. And that's what basically this whole podcast is on is canine cognitive behavioral therapy and how it does harness and stimulate those sides of the brain. So we see people, experts like Alexandra Horowitz, etc., who have cognition labs, but they're still relying on positive reinforcement training and perhaps counter conditioning to find and stimulate cognition through canine enrichment. That's really all they're doing. It's just canine enrichment. They are not taking that one step farther to harness cognitive skills for rehabilitation. For some reason, canine enrichment products have become really popular, which which is good in the shelter system. However, it's almost a band-aid. It's almost like saying, yes, it's okay to keep these dogs in a confined environment, but as long as we're getting them out and playing with them, well, wouldn't foster homes be better? And why do we not have foster homes? Because it's challenging to foster some of these dogs because of behavioral reasons. I just don't think that the credit that these uh, behavioral units or the shelters are receiving because they're incorporating enrichment products, I don't think they're deserving of that. They need to be addressing the behavioral reasons separately. Yes, incorporate these canine enrichment activities, which should be 101. That should be common to take the dogs out, play with them, walk with them, use toys, do basic commands, use treats using basic commands. Of course, absolutely do that. Again, that should be 101. And if they're not doing that, they need to question why. But they still need methods to address behavioral issues separately. The Ontario SPCA is following suit with the American SPCA and has created a behavioral unit. I've had a great chat with her, the woman who runs it. Uh, we're in connection, which is great. But again, they're only using conditioning methods. They're not necessarily seeing a problem with that, but it does take a long time to rehabilitate these dogs, which is not always feasible in the shelter system. And it's not necessarily preventing surrenders for behavioral reasons 
at the rate that they would like. And unfortunately, they are turning away dogs that have aggressive issues or a bite history, which allows them to say that they are not killing these dogs, but they are essentially killing these dogs by not having the skills to bring them into their program and to rehabilitate and rehome them safely. So when you're reading about trainers or researching trainers or products, I hope this episode has helped you understand the purpose of canine behavioral enrichment products, how they can help you, whether they will serve your purpose and encourage you to use them or incorporate activities that stimulate natural behavior and stimulate cognitive skills. These can be bonding and fun. And if you are having behavioral issues, please contact me because we will advance those into the behavioral rehabilitation realm. Please be sure to check out the earlier episodes of this podcast and some of the episodes throughout which talk further about this topic and cognitive skills in dogs. And as well, if you would like to keep updated on what I'm doing, I suggest LinkedIn. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. That's Billy Groom. I also am on Twitter. That's Upper Dogology. And Instagram is Upper Dogology as well as Facebook. Please follow me on those. I have another podcast that I'm a host on, which is more directed towards animal advocacy. That is all about animals radio. If you want to follow that, there's some great guests and some great hosts on that. Thank you for your support and all you do for your dogs. Enjoy your learning journey.